Gabby, welcome to another episode of the Happier Life Project, brought to you by free mental health and wellness app, My Possible Self, in partnership with the Priory Healthcare. Now, everybody can suffer from low mood, so I wanted to explore this for the pod. Low mood is an emotional state characterised by sadness, anxiety and low self-esteem. Symptoms of a general low mood may include feeling sad, anxious or panicky, more tired than usual or being unable to sleep, angry or frustrated, low in confidence or self-esteem. I wanted to know what triggers a low mood. Why are some people more prone than others to feeling down? Things we can do to perhaps prevent or at least catch when we feel ourselves sliding and then what we can do to help improve how we are feeling. And how about ladies the time of the month and our hormones in relation to our mood? The impact of relationships. I think we can all be guilty in romantic relationships of our mood being heavily influenced by our partner for example. What are some of the best mood boosters we can be doing? Should we be monitoring our mood more frequently and consistently? Well, all of these questions and more are going to be answered in today's episode. And our guest, CBT therapist and psychologist Kelly Watkins, is ready and raring to get stuck in. So, ready to find a healthier, happier you? Let's get started. Welcome, Kelly Watkins, to the Happier Life Project. Usually, I do a solo intro where I go through all the credentials of our guest and then we can jump straight in with the conversation. But in this case, there was quite a few points that I actually wanted to ask you about. So if you don't mind, I've got it, I've got it in front of me. Kelly is a qualified cognitive behavioural therapist plus a lecturer and supervisor at the University of Hertfordshire teaching the next generation of CBT therapists. So this next part really piqued my interest. You're a HCP registered forensic psychologist. So just for our listeners' sake, this is the NHS's breakdown of the job description. Forensic psychologists apply psychological theory to criminal investigation to help understand psychological problems associated with criminal behaviour and the treatment of those who have committed offences. They work with all aspects of the criminal justice system. And I've definitely not spoke to um, somebody that does that before on the podcast. (laughs) Yeah. Over 13 years experience in the mental health field, during your time you've worked with pretty much all walks of life and have developed uh, your knowledge in a wide range of areas. We could do a completely different episode on why we do bad things. (laughs) But in your work as a forensic psychologist, I was super curious about if you could share some of the psychological problems associated with criminal behaviour. Have you found people are good, but with mental health illnesses that make them bad? I'm just really curious in terms of any discoveries you've made along the way. I think one of the things that when I work with people is about seeing the person as a whole. 
So within that, it's all often exploring the things that they've been through. And some of the things have had really horrific things that have happened mm. throughout their life that have led them down a path that has made them more likely to engage in criminal behaviour. And obviously some of them do, which is why I end up working with them. Mm. Um, it, it's really difficult because sometimes when you read a case study, it's like you almost feel like, well, it's understandable why you kind of ended up where you are, whether that is kind of that leads to mental health difficulties or not. Mm. and that's not for everyone some people just do engage in criminal behavior because they do <laughs> there's, right. there's that mental health component yeah do you see a lot of remorse yeah, yeah. and I think you don't want to pathologize everything that okay that they did that because they're unwell um mm. and I think that's sometimes that you, you see that quite a bit and it's it's not to belittle the people that actually have had really really tough things happen to them that have led them to experience mm. mental health difficulties but I think sometimes how things are portrayed maybe in the in the media that they're unwell so then they must have done this criminal act where there may not be that clear relationship between the two Mm. so yeah and you with remorse of course you do like particularly with people who maybe have engaged in criminal behavior when they've been experiencing psychosis for example or they've kind of been out of touch with reality for whatever reason and then they've done something and it's just like like but they wouldn't do that if they wasn't experiencing that yeah I think if people have had a really rough ride of it as well you can sort of see why they might not be thinking of other the consequences to others of their behavior let's say that yeah and like even just the personality traits that some people can just be even genetically more impulsive than others um, and if they're going to be impulsive, not think through the their decisions and maybe engaging in more risk taking behavior then kind of those three all together. Yeah, yeah. yeah. See, we could go down a different rabbit hole, but um, <laughs> <laughs> continuing about you, you've built a successful private practice. You've amassed a large online following, which has led you to write and develop a range of ebooks and mental wellness products. You're passionate about helping individuals make changes in their life so they are able to live the life they want or once lived. Living the life they want or once lived, what are some of the obstacles that you've seen that prevent us from doing just that? So many things. And I think that kind of not to be too topical, but even just kind of the cost of living crisis, that that can be a massive barrier for people doing the things that would help them say like if their waiting lists are super super long and they're not able to get the support and they can't pay for it privately then that's a massive barrier and I think that's why I've been so passionate about creating those ebooks and obviously it's not a replacement for therapy but it gives people that little something that can help them in in the meantime so I think that is obviously a massive barrier sometimes not having maybe supportive people around you or people that maybe don't really understand mental health, or if you're trying to talk about it, maybe just kind of brush it off, like, oh, yeah, I'm depressed too, or like not being able to actually feel heard or or valued for what your experience is. is. Mm. I suppose it is a barrier, but the actual ownership of what someone's experiencing, so what I mean by that is that for some people actually admitting that they, they are struggling can be a massive barrier. So you may get people that reach out and they're interested in engaging in therapy, but then you can feel it's not the right time for them because 
they either haven't got the time to invest in being able to do the therapy or that it it doesn't feel that that they fully understand kind of what they're experiencing so that's kind of I suppose Mm -hmm. there's like internal barriers but then there's external barriers as well yeah I mean that was kind of going to be a follow-up question was there's that cliched saying about rose tinted glasses but you know perception is quite important isn't it in terms of when we're we're talking about barriers is that something real very much like the cost of living crisis is or are you not good enough to go for that job is that a self-belief that has come from something a school teacher said when you were five yeah and I, and I think with that like like motivation that mm. sometimes we have got those limits with like if we're thinking financially again that oh, I can't do these things to better myself because I haven't got the money. But then it's about thinking, looking internally and thinking, but there's so many things that you could do that would help you that are free or really low cost. So it's about kind of honing in on that, like what is that barrier for you? Is it the barriers that are actually there or is it is it the ones in your mind that you're putting there? And that can be a really difficult conversation to explore with someone. Mm. But I don't think it's one to shy away from or to reflect on on yourself. And I guess this kind of leads onto today's major overarching theme about low mood. And here we go with the chicken and the egg then as well, because when we talk about things like motivation, if we've got low mood, we've probably got low motivation. If we've got you know, low motivation, we've probably got low mood. But I thought we could kick off, if you don't mind, with basically giving us a quick definition of of what low mood is in psychology terms. So I think to just distinguish it from depression, it's not clinical depression, although it could lead Mm -hmm. to it. Mm -hmm. But I think low mood is is an emotional state, whether it's kind of characterised by feeling sad or if it's feeling anxious or stressed or frustrated it can be kind of like this umbrella term for all of these other things that are feeding into it and how I see low mood is that it's a very long definition but it's it's on a spectrum Mm -hmm. um, in terms of that some people can just have like a little sprinkling of low mood in certain situations for some people on the other end which where you kind of teeter over into depression where it is impacting on you on a day-to-day basis and you're you can't really do things to get out of it and that's where you'd go over into clinical depression so I think mm. to highlight it's, it's an emotional state characterized by different elements but I also see it on a spectrum as well yeah and sort of piggybacking off that as well in terms of it being the stepping stone for depression if it does continue for a longer period of time Um, this is something that was taken from the NHS website um, and it's just basically echoing what you just said in terms of the symptoms you may be feeling sad anxious or panicky more tired than usual or being unable to sleep angry or frustrated low on confidence or self-esteem everybody feels like this from time to time it doesn't always mean something is wrong feeling low is common after distressing events or major life changes and sometimes Mm -hmm. periods of low mood happen for no obvious reason but it says yeah if you're still feeling down or no longer get pleasure from things for most of each day and this lasts for several weeks you may be experiencing depression so when do you think is that kind of time where we have to maybe go 
okay, this has gone on for maybe a bit too long. And do we go down the therapy route or do we go to our GP first of all? What what do you suggest? It's difficult because it, it, it's different for everyone, isn't it? But I think that the main thing is we know ourselves best. We're the expert on ourselves. So like you said, if we're kind of not interested in the things that we used to kind of not doing the things that we used to as well say if we're someone that goes out for a walk or we read a book or we knit or we cook and we notice maybe over a, a period of maybe three or maybe up to a month that we notice that we're really not doing it it's at that point I would reach out to a, a professional and whether that is a, a GP or a therapist I think depends on the individual. Some people prefer maybe the the option of a therapist because they want to do like a the talking route, whereas some people mm-hmm. may be more interested in medication mm-hmm. uh, or finding out the options. So a GP could maybe give them the options of whether that is maybe self-help, whether that is kind of the talking therapy through the NHS or indeed medication. And and that in itself can be a difficult decision to make when you are feeling low. So it's about really just making that first step, wherever that is, the GP or finding a therapist. The GP mm. feels like the easiest answer when you've got low mood, but then that may not be right for everyone. Mm. And sometimes if GPs are very, very busy and you phone somebody up and say I've got low mood then you've got to get through the receptionist and unfortunately that might not be to them some you know you might not get an appointment that easily that's been my experience in the past before yeah definitely and I, and again that's the kind of thinking of that spectrum isn't it um mm. and it's not to to give everyone a diagnosis but it's to really try and get what you need um and I know a lot of services around the UK for the talking therapies that you can sometimes self-refer so you don't have to go through the GP but that really depends Mm. by the area that you're in. I smiled when I saw on the same I guess like blog page or whatever within the NHS website being with you all your experience in terms of tips to improve your mood that number one was try self-help CBT techniques so what self-help those CBT techniques? Does that mean this is things you can do at home without seeing somebody like you? Yeah, it feels a bit counterintuitive, doesn't it? There, there are like simpler skills that you could probably apply to do yourself and you could try out. But then I think particularly with low mood, you, sometimes you need that either kind of handhold or kind of just support mm. to get you over that that initial what feels like a massive mountain sometimes rather than a hurdle that it would be probably I I haven't looked at some of the self-help stuff for ages but it's just some of the simpler techniques um right. like of checking in with what you're doing or you're not doing and trying to change that or checking in with your thoughts but when the the difference there would be that people wouldn't know that when I work with people I would never get someone to work on their thoughts before they've changed what they're doing because when you change what you're doing, you can kind of what we call it, activate your mood. So kind of slightly increase mm. it. And it's at that point, it will be easier for you to start to challenge some of those negative thoughts. Mm. So that's the, the, the kind of the, the difference I would see between the, the two, I suppose. Yeah, I mean, some of the other tips, you know, which I can share, and I'm sure you'd agree with, they are quite 
self-explanatory, I suppose. Talk to someone, trusted friends, family and colleagues, mm-hmm. get better sleep. Easier said than done sometimes, <laughs> just, you know. Just like Easy, yeah. Boost your mood with music. I mean, that's that's a good one, I think, that people might not necessarily remember to think of, but, like, mm-hmm. putting on a good playlist or even, like, I think a movie soundtrack, like the Dirty Death. One that's my go to. How can you not feel better after hearing Hungry Eyes? You know, <laughs> but, but it's one of those. I've got like a couple of clients actually who've got like a, a feel good playlist, so they've got yeah. it saved on like wherever they listen to their music and they go to it. And I think I can't remember the BPM, but there's a certain BPM I want to say over 118, but I might be wrong there. But there's a certain BPM like the beats per minute that is shown to improve mood. Oh, that's interesting. I can't remember what it is, so that would be something to, to look up. But there definitely is. There's been some research to show that if you listen to this amount of beats per minute, that it does actually improve your mood. Oh, yeah, I'll have to look into that myself. Um, <laughs> increase helpful activity. Low mood can stop us from doing important or enjoyable activities. Try listing these things and doing some each day. Start with the easier ones, and as you pro- progress, your mood should improve. A little activity every day. I think that that means more like movement. I mean, these are all very, we all know these kind of things, right? Are there any like go-tos that you suggest for your client that aren't maybe so popular or Um, widespread? I think with the the activities that you said, and I think there's really an importance of splitting your activities into the things that are important and the things that bring you joy. Mm. That sometimes that things can be, really important that we avoid such as maybe doing chores around the house and they're not really that enjoyable but there could be some things that we enjoy that we avoid that aren't that important such as watching something on the tv so I think being able to split between that and but schedule it in so don't Mm -hmm. just aim to do it schedule it put it in your diary put it somewhere where you're not going to forget about it but not to overwhelm yourself like one activity or two activities a day is is good enough just to, to elaborate on, on the last part, but I think some of the other things I get people to do is meditation. I really am quite a big advocate in, mm. in meditation and kind of the power of being able to use that to regulate your own emotions and kind of we'll be thinking about sleep because it's so easy to sleep. Like that can really be helpful mm. <laughs> for, for that side of things, but also like visualization so either if you have a, a safe space so kind of somewhere where you create in your mind that you feel really safe feel really happy feel really good and, and take yourself there and allow those feelings of feeling happy or safe or calm and embody those feelings yes mm-hmm. you may not be feeling them right now in outside of the, that meditation but you can still experience the, the benefit of them through visualization so I think that is something that I, I do go with and to, yeah. to go even further like self-touch if you feel comfortable to kind of like hold yourself whether it's kind of like on your shoulders almost like crossed over your shoulders or like giving yourself a hug or one hand or two hands on your heart like to feel that that touch because touch obviously releases the kind of the hormones that we want to be releasing when we're feeling low mm. even if it's to ourselves we don't have to hug or touch anyone else yeah, self-massage is good, I think, on that yeah, yeah. thread as well. I personally 
my go-to for laughing out loud and feeling good um, is a podcast called My Therapist Ghosted Me. Oh, my God, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to see them this year. I can't wait. Oh, well, yeah. I, I went to their Salford show and it didn't disappoint. So this is Vogue Williams TV and, I suppose, radio presenter and then Joanne McNally, who's a professional comedian and they just talk about all the girly stuff right yeah I took my sister to the show in Manchester but like I will kind of kill in terms of mood boosting it's killing two birds with one stone because I'll go for a walk and then I'll pop in an episode Mm. of that and sometimes I look a bit nuts because I will laugh out loud yeah me too yeah I'm sort of wanting to explore laughter as a form of medicine and and incorporating more fun and silly into into our lives as potentially a podcast episode because I think again it's just an area that we overlook and I just know from hanging out with my nieces and nephew who's four and seven that sometimes just being Mm. silly and just doing things for the sake of fun it's just what we need isn't it love that it's just like releasing that inner child um mm. like I I've got loads of like puzzles that I I do like I've got things or, or sometimes you go back to like childhood films or things that films that made you laugh when you were little so even if your your childhood wasn't maybe the best you're going to have those moments of that safety and that happiness that are sometimes often encapsulated in a film yeah. but I do think there's um because even with your, your parasympathetic nervous system by laughing you, you can activate that as well kind of with with the with the tones that are coming out so it's the idea that if you start laughing like fake laughing you'll start laughing for real and that will then make you laugh more there's all like there's laughter yoga isn't there and all things like that and I think yeah. even if yeah we, we, we fake it till we start laughing for real it's still gonna yeah. give us that boost. yeah there's all sorts of weird and wonderful things with yoga now like goat yoga I've seen and dog yoga the dream <laughs> In terms of like monitoring our mood, how important do you think it is for that check-in? Is it a weekly thing, a daily thing? Is it not one size fits all? Yeah, it's probably it's going to be the annoying answer of not one size fits all. And I think yeah. but it, it's really important to to check in with how you, you are feeling, particularly with noticing like changes over the month, course of the month, um, particularly for kind of people who have those like the kind of the hormone changes. But I think whether it is logging it on a, on a day-to-day basis or logging it on a weekly basis you can have like a weekly reflection or you can I've got some people that put like emojis in their calendar on their phone to kind of just check in how they're feeling they've got their own little code mm. or people have it written down in in their diary or in their mm. work calendar it's just making it work for you yeah we've got a mood tracker on the my possible self app which okay, cool. you get prompted every day as like a little reminder if you've not sort of filled it in yeah and but with that like if you have someone that you trust and you could be accountable to checking in with someone else and it doesn't have to be a really long-winded conversation it could just be sending emojis of how you're feeling or verbally just saying or how you feel but it's just sometimes having that other person can make you feel accountable and maybe that's the same thing with an app like having that alert come up it's making you accountable to something or someone yeah I wonder as well then I I guess I mean does it help if you catch where you're at, you might not really be, let's say, completely feeling low, but you might be on that path. Then potentially, if you can, you can kind of catch it before it escalates. And then, mm-hmm. you know, like maybe you've had a highly stressful day and there's been lots mm-hmm. going on, then don't add more stress to it kind of thing. Yeah. yeah, and I think one of the things that I think with people is sometimes we're not actually good for actually knowing how we're feeling. 
Mm-hmm. Um, we kind of almost go through the day on autopilot. But as exactly as you said, like I had a day on, on Monday mm-hmm. um, and just kind of feeling just really quite tired. I just checked in with that. And instead of feeling like in the evening, oh, I need to do some uni work or I need to do something, it was just honouring that and be like, you know what, I'm just going to have the night off. And it's if I didn't check in with that, I probably would have still tried to push through in the evening, even though I felt really tired and quite grumpy. So finding time for us to check in with that exactly, as you said, can can maybe help us to stop us like tipping over into kind of the where things are, are less easy to pull back, I suppose. When you're feeling, I suppose, low, but not that low, like if you think of that spectrum that it may be easier to to pull back because you may have a little bit more of motivation that you could do something with it rather than kind of really it going low and then just being like I'm not doing anything I'm just gonna lay in bed and not talk Mm. to anyone wash not brush my teeth and Mm. those sorts of things so yeah I think if, if we if we did make a habit of checking in it may make things easier yeah what are some of the big triggers do you think of you know making us feel low that what are some of the things that we could catch? I know we've mentioned about stress. I think, yeah, stress, I suppose, with, you mentioned in the definition, like life changes, if there's kind of things that are expected or unexpected. You've got to see the, horm- the changes that come with hormones, whether your testosterone, if that drops, or kind of with kind of the other drop in hormones, that causes a drop in serotonin. Um, mm. So being aware of, of that and how that impacts. But also, mm. I suppose, the weather, we, we we sometimes we we don't really maybe give that as much credit yeah how that actually really but like I don't know where you are today it's really overcast and rainy but it's been beautiful sunshine before and just that mm. can really impact upon us the news around us I remember when we had Alistair Campbell on the show he said he avoids the watching the news at night before bed because he suffers from depression if he's feeling down he will avoid watching the news so it doesn't make him feel worse I don't read any newspaper. I don't read any news articles. I don't watch the news. Live in my own little bubble. Yeah. <laughs> until, like, I think more people just... would if it wasn't all depressing. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, somewhere it's been like news has to be depressing, hasn't it? So yeah. there's been something that's like, that's what we have to deliver. I know. We've got the like the, the good news and all of that. I like those ones. Oh, that's, that's nice. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. But, yeah. God feel good. But I think that there can be so many different triggers like even like times of the year if we're coming up to an anniversary maybe or something sad that's happened mm. um that that can also be something that sometimes you don't realize and then you kind of get to it and you're like oh like maybe that like it's almost like subconsciously sometimes that you kind of mm. come up to it and you maybe not be thinking about it consciously and then that mm. happens and but even like stress with like good things like if you've got like planning a big party or a wedding or something like that you can feel low during up to it because of the the stress of it but also you get the like blues afterwards don't you yeah like they were talking all about the Glastonbury blues the other day so like that kind of come down after like a happy event that can also be a trigger that feels a bit bizarre because you're like oh just Mm. really celebrated like this milestone and then then you feel low Mm. there's nothing worse is there than that kind of pit in your stomach you know that churning feeling Mm. you can kind of wallow in it can't you a little bit once you feel that way but I think with that that sometimes feeling low it's okay to feel it every now and again like it's normal um but it's it's just recognizing that so it doesn't become 
like it impacts in your in your daily life but sometimes mm -hmm. just having like what they call like a duvet day and just having that that day to feel your emotions as long as it doesn't take over I personally don't think there's anything wrong with that as long as yeah it doesn't lead to anything more in terms of our lifestyle are there any improvements I guess we can make there that will help us with our mood I think like we, we spoke about sleep a lot but kind of like having the right amount of sleep whatever that is for you the nutrition the stuff that we put in our body or like alcohol we know alcohol is a depressant um mm. so being more in, in tune maybe with the amount of alcohol that we consume yeah there's loads of different I don't really know much about the kind of the happy foods these foods make you happy like there's dark chocolate and I don't really know too much about that but I know there's some people that do really say that you can kind of hack your happiness hormones by eating certain foods and right yeah there probably is some truth to it I'm just not too, too sure about <laughs> yeah we did an episode called food for your mood with the doctor on that and oh, so okay. yeah check that one out. <laughs> listen to me yeah for anybody that's not heard that podcast you can listen back but um <laughs> yeah food to, food's a good one isn't it and I guess with that movement but then again that's another chicken and an egg situation where if you're feeling like low you don't really want to be like doing a workout especially you know when the workout if it's on youtube or even if a gym or whatever the instructors are always so peppy aren't they and you're like i want to punch you <laughs> but you feel better afterwards i'll follow up with that <laughs> yes i think i always remind myself i'm never going to feel better before but i will feel better yeah. afterwards but yeah i'm i'm for me, movement is a massive thing. But one thing I always set up with with clients is almost like having a gold, silver and bronze status. So mm. if we're feeling in a bronze level, we might go out for a walk for 20 minutes. If we're at the silver stage, then we might go out for a walk and then we might do a little bit of like weights at home. Then if we're gold, then we're going to maybe a fitness class. So it's almost like having these different levels depending on how you're feeling. Because sometimes I think if you if you don't go out for that walk on a number of occasions and you get the negative thoughts coming in and starting to be mm. mean, mean to you. But if you know that you've got this almost a kind of ranking system, the clients I've worked with have found that more helpful so they didn't slide into those negative thinking patterns. Mm. What do you think about taking supplements to help with your mood? Things like 5-HTP, St. John's War, ashwagandha, all these things and then there's the stuff that's like marketed where it's like mood boosters and then it's a cocktail of herbs what are your thoughts there is that just you know part of this booming wellness industry and <laughs> you're smiling there oh. I'm trying to read what you're yeah. thinking <laughs> <laughs> I'll get my my friends it's like poker face back on I don't know I think that going back to the nutrition there's probably some that have got the benefits but I'm always curious that's probably the kindest word when people are, are saying oh this will definitely boost your mood you'll feel better like they're like gummies or things like that and it's like yeah really but also for some people it's just enough to be a placebo that I'm taking this mm. so I'm going to feel better and then they start to feel better whether that is what they're taking or not they're feeling better so that's good but then it's then oh I need it and if I don't have it then I'm going to mm. crash again I'm not going to feel great so I suppose it's being aware that they're not kind of the solution to everything. And yes, there may be some benefits. Like there's so much research going into like CBD stuff at the moment. I think mm. I'd be really curious what comes out of that um, and to see 
how and and if that can impact upon people's moods but I don't know if I will just tell people just to try it because I've seen quite a few people come in particularly with um there's one that you you smell that's kind of meant to reduce anxiety and stress can't remember the name of it but a lot of my clients I went through a stage and everyone would have to have it and if they didn't have it then their anxiety would just skyrocket um so it was that that rule became a safety behavior to have this thing to to sniff that was meant to release these things that relieves anxiety so that was kind of the negative side of it really but yeah I I couldn't give a firm answer because I don't know enough about what's actually inside all of them Mm, you definitely give us some food for thought there though you mentioned a couple of times about hormones balanced hormones are vital not only for our body but also for our mind so specifically looking at like reproductive hormones and stress hormones that can really impact our mood I mean I'm a girl you're a girl in terms of like reproductive hormones I feel like we do get the shorter straw than guys but I'm not a guy so I don't know if I should be saying that this is just in my opinion especially (laughs) you know around the if you're in the the menstrual years should we say um Mm -hmm. and then I don't know is there much we can do with that or is it just something we have to accept like for me I will feel very emotional before I come on my period and I will feel yeah more down yeah but you get like post menstrual depression don't you there's kind of really again there's kind of more people learning about it but the the symptoms are extremely similar to clinical depression but it's just not as prolonged so going back what I was saying about the bronze silver and gold kind of standard for yourself when Mm. I've been working with women who do struggle with the kind of the hormone massive changes and mood changes around kind of their menstrual cycle Mm -hmm. putting that in place for their activity level or what they're doing has been really helpful because we we roughly know when it's going to come so you can know when to plan your diary like okay this week I'm going to make sure I get out for five walks rather than seven for example so it again it's stopping those critical thoughts coming in saying well you failed because you didn't do your walks and when we're feeling quite delicate maybe anyway having our own critic pointing at us so I found that helpful for myself but also with the clients that I've worked with yeah Um, it's just giving yourself permission just to do a little less and that's okay what about like relationships and how they can impact our mood especially I think romantic ones for better or worse but as we're talking about like low mood in particular again is this just I suppose something we need to be mindful of because also you've got like zooming out you know, let's use the word energy vampires, people that are maybe more negative and you feel your mood going down the rabbit hole of more low because, yeah, I guess in terms of like we can manage our own mood, but then like managing the moods around us to manage our own mood as well. Like any thoughts there? So, so when I'm trying to like narrow them down for what you said, but I think yeah. with the, the I love that phrase energy vampires. I, re- I really do. <laughs> it's being aware of the the kind of the people that like make us feel good and it's not to always put ourselves around them when we're feeling low but we know the people that are gonna support us or be that kind of that comfort blanket rather Mm. than being that person that's going to kind of bring you down as well but I suppose going back to what we were saying in recognizing how we're feeling being able to share that with close others if you are feeling particularly tired or low 
sharing that with your romantic partner or with a, a close friend so you you don't feel alone and sometimes you may not want to talk in detail but just, you know what I'm feeling really low today and that's all I want to say and to having that boundary that just because you say that doesn't mean you want to unpack everything but sometimes that when you're feeling low if you're with someone in a romantic relationship and they also struggle with their mood sometimes you kind of almost suck each other in with it yeah but the difficulty with that kind of if you have that fear of the other person experiencing low mood then you may not actually share how you're feeling which could then make you feel quite resentful towards the other person quite frustrated um, maybe not being valued or heard so I think that that can be tricky as well because you don't want to not honor your own feelings feeling that you need to protect other people mm. but I suppose it's it's knowing who you can turn to when you are feeling low and then figuring out what it is that you need like when you feel low do you just want to sit and watch a film with someone do you want someone to be like right come on let's go out for a walk like what but you kind of need to have those conversations before you get to that that point yeah I think and I really admire the, the friends and people I know that don't give away too much power to the, you know, going back to romantic partners mm-hmm. in terms of especially when it's still quite new and you're all in love and all of this. But then like maybe you haven't heard from them in a few days, a couple of days or whatever, or, you know, there, there could be these very small things that can just make you feel a bit low. And it's almost like, if it was a friend, you wouldn't feel like that. But like, oh, they've not texted me back immediately. And then there's going further down the scale of heartbreak and mood, you know, when if we feel low because that person's no longer around in, in our life. And I just, I wonder in terms of like self-protection, I know we can't completely close ourselves off, but do you think a lot of us fall kind of victim to yeah just really being affected in in when we're we're date let's say dating like by how our partner makes us feel I think it depends on our own personality traits because I know mm-hmm. some people that will be like quite stoic in their approach and they won't really care if no one if they put someone doesn't message them back but that you get other people that can feel really upset by the fact yeah that they haven't messaged back but then also you can have people that get upset if they haven't messaged back after 10 minutes versus a couple of days. Um, mm, so I think yeah. it's kind of knowing that. And with if we think in a, in a CBT, so in a cognitive behavioural um, way, that we know that the thoughts that are going through our mind are going to impact upon how we're feeling. So if we can kind of check in about the narrative that we're telling ourselves, are we saying, oh, they haven't messaged back, that means they think, I'm ugly, I'm horrible, I'm not good enough. Like, what is that narrative that you're telling yourself that is impacting upon how you're feeling? And being able to do, in CBT, we call it cognitive restructuring. So it's about changing those thoughts in your head. Could we apply that in the workplace as well? Because I think that's another one, isn't it? Where maybe we've worked really hard on something, but we don't get that acknowledgement from our boss or maybe like we're feeling in a bit insecure in terms of our job could we use that same technique definitely anytime you get a, a negative thought you can use it did you want me to explain what it is quickly yeah sorry sorry yeah <laughs> please do so any sort of negative thought whether it's about yourself whether it's something at work or to do with someone else 
first of all, you need to recognize what that negative thought is. Then you look at what is the evidence for that thought being true? So what's the evidence of that negative thought being true? What are the factual things that prove that that is definitely true? So you're worthless, you're not good at your job, any of that. Then you look at what is the evidence for that thought not being true? So any piece of evidence, maybe that your boss is really busy or um, the person that you're dating has been out of the country or they've got something else going on. What is kind of the, the other evidence that is kind of proving that your negative thought not true? And then once you've balanced out that evidence or not balanced it as in making them the same, but just looked at those pieces of evidence that you've got, having obviously a couple of pieces of evidence. Then you think about what would be an alternative thought. So what would be that something more balanced, maybe something that you may say to someone that you care about if they tell you that negative thought. So you go through that process to kind of weigh up almost the evidence for and against it and then something that's more balanced and alternative after. So that's cognitive restructuring, which I think is a great, great tool for people to, to use. And you can use it for any time. As I said, you've got a negative thought. Mm. If it is something bad that's happened, and this goes back to, I suppose, what we've said throughout, that like it is normal to feel low, yeah. but then pulling ourselves out of it, like what if it's a, the dog's died or I've lost my job? Usually it's loss, isn't it? Let's go with yeah. loss. Then, you know, we could ask those questions, but then the answer is it's not going to make us feel any better. Like no. what could we do there? I think with that, it's, I always will be like to feel your emotions, like don't block them out, like as much as how ugly, how difficult they are, still look after yourself. So still show yourself care and compassion, but allow yourself to process the loss. See, there's like, you've got like the grief cycle and there's loads of different ones that have got different stages through to kind of the denial, the sadness, the anger, but just allow yourself to go through that cycle. And, and again, it depends on what kind of your personality traits that some people find it easier to bounce back than others. And it's about being in tune with with yourself and knowing that, yeah, do I need to take some time out or kind of mm. what do I need? Um, and, and knowing that if your need is just to chill out and watch some happy movies and that's OK. Mm. Final question, and you might have already kind of answered this, but I do ask every guest at the end of the episode to set our listeners some homework based on the theme of the episode. So in this case, what is a simple actionable step that we can take when it comes to improving low mood that will help us on our mission to building a happier life? I think that if you create a list of activities that are a mix of things that make you feel good and things that you you kind of need to do, and then making sure that you schedule at least one of those in a day. I like that. That's a good one. Sure. Not not like any of my other answers. <laughs> it's perfect. Well, that's what we are. It's simple and actionable, right? We need it to be something that we can actually do and not be overwhelmed even more at doing, you know? Thank you so much for today. Right, so for more on you, let's do some plug plugs. Your website is kellywatkins.co.uk. Instagram is yep. kelly.the.cbt.psychologist. Yep. TikTok, kelly.the.cbt.psych, P-S-Y-C-H. Yep. And then you've got an Etsy store. Is that right? You can shop. Yeah. Yeah, so I've, I, that's where I kind of sell all the ebooks. I've got um, a 
emotions will cushion that I've just designed and released. So um, oh, I've got wicked. some digital some printable things on there, some journals. Yeah, loads of bits. Lovely. Some mood boosters, if you will. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Kelly, thanks again. Great talking to you. I really appreciate today. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. It's been fun. <laughs> Thanks again to the wonderful Kelly Watkins and thank you to you for listening to this episode of the Happier Life Project with me, Gabby Sanderson. And you know by now I can't sign off without the very important housekeeping. If you are suffering with your mental health, there is a crisis button on the My Possible Self app which will signpost you to the correct information for immediate expert advice. Those of you who are listening on one of the podcast platforms and not on the app, the My Possible Self app is completely free to download, so you don't need to worry about it costing you anything. The views expressed in this podcast are solely those of the interviewer, which is me, and the interviewees. The content of this podcast should not be considered as a substitute for professional or medical advice. The Priory Healthcare are not involved in the production or content of this podcast. If you found this episode helpful and you haven't already left us a review, please do. It does make all the difference and I cannot tell you how much it goes appreciated. And to find and follow us on social media, we are at My Possible Self and I've been at Radio Gabby. Please do take care and I'll see you for the next one our final episode of the season. Bye for now.